hey, grab your message notes, grab your Bible, um, because we are going to jump right in. And you need to know that on the night that Jesus was to be arrested and then eventually crucified, he gathered together with his guys. He knew that their life was about to change dramatically. And so Jesus uh, gets them together, and he knows that there are some serious struggles that they are about to face. They are going to be overwhelmed with questions and doubts. It's going to feel, especially for these disciples who'd walked with Jesus for these last three years, that kind of the solid ground that they had been on with Christ, I'm sure it was going to feel to them like that ground with was shaking and, and unsettled, and they were going to even wrestle with what is really true in this world. So Jesus, like the good shepherd that he is, understands this, and he wants to assure them that though he knows that there are going to be times when they feel alone, he wants them to know very clearly that they will never be alone. That in fact, when he goes, he will be sending uh, another one uh, to, to them. Uh, specifically, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. Now, in some ways, this discussion that begins in John chapter 14 reminds me a little bit of the conversation that we used to have with our kids when they were little. Because if you're a parent, you know that anytime you leave your kids anywhere for any amount of time, they want to know three things. They want to know, first of all, where are you going? They want to know, second of all, when will you be back? And third, they want to know who will be taking care of us, who will be watching over us. So whether you're leaving them for an hour in their you know, classroom at church or whether you're going away for the weekend, the kids want to know those three questions. And so at some level, I said, that's the conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. And he says, my time is now. So I am going away, yes, and I am going to the Father. That's where I'm going. He says, but nobody knows the day or hour that I'll return. I'm going to return, but only the Father knows the day or hour that I will return. By the way, I just want to pause here and say, parents, that is not a great answer to give to your kids, right? When you drop them off for their Sunday school class, you don't say, I'm going to the worship center, our worship service. Um, Nobody knows the day or hour that I will be back. Pastor Glenn goes really long sometimes. We may or may not see you today. Don't do that with your your kids. But that's what Jesus says. He says, I'm going to the Father. I'm coming back for sure, but nobody knows the day or hour. He said, but he says this, but I'm not leaving you alone. There is another one that will come and care for you and watch over you, right? Now, I know that the, the disciples maybe were not entirely comforted by this. They still had a lot of questions. And so Jesus kind of sweetens the pot with them. And he says this, he says, but here's the deal. Unless I go away, the Holy Spirit, this comforter will not come. So it's actually better for you. It's for your good that I go away so that another can come with you. Again, it's like a parent trying to convince their kids, hey, we're, we're going out and we're going to be gone. But the good news is you get to hang out with that fun babysitter, right? Or you get to hang out with grandma and grandpa, right? And so that's going to be a great time because that's right. All you can eat pizza, all you can eat ice cream, watch whatever show you want. Who cares about bedtime? And that's the way it goes, grandparents. Is that just my, amen. All right, I support that. I support that. Well, that's not what Jesus says. What Jesus, uh, of course, is talking about is he says, it's good for you to go away because I am going to send another like me. There's another one that when I go who is like me that will come. So in other words, what Jesus is saying to them in so many words is this. Hey, guys, remember. Remember when we were out on the, on the water and the storm came up and we were in the boat and you were afraid and I comforted you? 
it's still going to be like that. And remember when, when you guys were fishermen or tax collectors and I called you to follow after me and it changed your life and suddenly your, your life had purpose and meaning and power. He says, it's still going to be just like that. And remember guys, when we would get together and, and I would teach and oftentimes I'd teach in parables and people would be just kind of scratching their heads trying to understand and I would pull you away and I'd explain it to you so that you could understand what my words mean. He says, it's still going to be just like that. And of course, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And we need to remember that the Holy Spirit is not some strange force. The Holy Spirit is not like a spiritual metaphor. He's not some emotional experience. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Trinity, a divine person. We said last week that he's much like the wind or he's compared to the wind because though you cannot see him physically, you can hear him. You can hear his voice. You can feel him and you can see the impact that the Spirit made. And so as you know, this year our church uh, each year chooses a theme to study and this year we are going to dig into the Holy Spirit. Our theme is called Alive in Us. So in this short kind of four-week series, here in January to kind of introduce this topic. Uh, you'll remember a couple weeks ago, uh, Steve, uh, Pastor Steve began the conversation with the idea that, that the Holy Spirit is the advocate alive in us. Last week, we talked about Jesus or the Holy Spirit as uh, his power alive in us. And today we want to talk about something where we see that Jesus reveals the Holy Spirit to be the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth, which is alive in in us. In fact, if you go back to that original conversation that Jesus has with his disciples in the upper room, at least three times in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus specifically tells us that the Holy Spirit will be the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. So to just kind of lay the foundation, I just want you to see these passages um, from John 14, 15, and 16. So first of all, uh, in John 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says this. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Who is it? The spirit of truth. He said, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and soon he will be in you. He lives with you, but he will be in you. So that's the spirit of truth. Uh, He keeps the conversation going. Chapter 15, verses 26 and 27, Jesus says the same thing. When the advocate comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, and the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So the spirit of truth is going to bring truth about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And then one more time in chapter 16, same uh, line of reasoning Jesus comes back to in verse 12. He says, I have much more to say to you and more more now than you can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. And he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. 
And so, as we said, we introduced this topic a couple of weeks ago, Steve did, but we want to drill in to this idea of what is the spirit of truth, and what does it mean that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth alive in us. So this is also especially significant, because remember, truth is a significant topic that Jesus has with his disciples. He has the conversation with the the woman at the well that Ian mentioned earlier, that worship takes place in spirit and truth. Jesus tells his disciples that his teaching is the truth. But even more than that, Jesus reveals that he himself is the truth, right? And he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then he specifically says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So truth, as it is in our world today, in Jesus's time was a big deal, and he talked a lot about it. Now, here's the problem. You could say, and we kind of already sense it by even the the conversation that Stephen had here just a few minutes ago, which is that our world, in our world today, there is a problem with truth. There's a problem with truth. In fact, a a leading scholar, a theologian, the Reverend Steve Steele, um, suggested a couple weeks ago that we are experiencing the death of truth. He was talking about how people can kind of twist the truth around in so many ways. Um, and as smart as Steve is, he is not alone in this argument. Do you know that actually in 2016, the Oxford Dictionary, every year they choose a word of the year, right, that kind of encapsulates what's going on in the, the world around. And in 2016, Oxford Dictionary chose the word of the year as post truth. Post-truth, and it defines post-truth as this, uh, circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Did you catch that? So the idea is, uh, is that truth is really less about absolute realities or objective facts, as it says, and it's more about your personal preferences. It's more about your experiences. It's more about your preferred ideology. It's more about where you get your source of information. And you take all those things and you mix them together in the the melting pot of relativism. And what comes out is often referred to as your truth, right? And so there's your truth and I've got my truth. And even though my truth and your truth, that concept even defies the definition of what truth really is. You guys, it has become, and you know this, a huge accepted part and a core part of American worldview. People are really attached to it. And so the popular ideal, as you see, is, hey, live your truth, right? Hey, you do you. Hey, you just follow your heart. And those have become statements that are like gospel to people. People hold on so dearly to those things and so tightly to them. Why? Because when you hear things like that often enough and you hear them presented by the right people, in the right formats, connected to kind of the right emotional triggers, they become kind of this accepted reality. And so we've got this problem with truth. And so here's the deal. Into that reality, how do we sort through what is really true? And just as like with the disciples, uh, it feels like the ground can be kind of shaky. And into the world of the disciples and into our world today, Jesus promises this. I am sending you the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth is my Holy Spirit. 
So here's the point. It's, he sends us the, spiritual, uh, uh, the spirit of truth. And what we're going to do here for just the next few minutes is we want to go on kind of a, a quick little biblical and theological journey through why do we need this spirit of truth and what, does the spirit of, what difference does the spirit of tra- truth make in our life by being with us, by being in us, and being upon us. So that's what we're going to look at, the spirit of truth with us, in us, and upon us. Let's jump in. We got a lot of ground to cover. So first of all, number one, the spirit of truth is with us as the agent of salvation. So the spirit of truth is with us for what we would call conversion or being born again. The theological concept that we're talking about here is referred to as regeneration. Regeneration is kind of a big fancy way of describing what Jesus says when he says, you are born again by the spirit. So here's what we need to know. Even before you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily live inside of you, but the Holy Spirit is with you. He is active in your life. Primarily, the Holy Spirit is active trying to draw you to know and to follow after Christ. So Christian conversion, to become a Christian, there are kind of two parts to it. There's a negative part and there's a a positive part, if you will. The negative part is to recognize my sin, to recognize the things that are keeping me away from, from God, to feel convicted from those and, and, and say I've got to turn away from those things in a negative way and in a positive way I turn toward Christ as the answer to those things. And the Holy Spirit is very active in that process, both in convicting us of, of sin which is not always that popular, but convicting us of sin and turning us to Christ. It's been said sometimes that the Holy Spirit can make us feel very bad so that we can do something very good. Not that the Holy Spirit is looking to bring shame into our life, but he's looking to, to, to build this conviction in our life that we would understand that we need something different. And that's a part of the, 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 the spirit of truth role in our life. So there's an old expression, some of you that have been around the church for a while, maybe you've heard this expression, it's the hound of heaven. Have you ever heard God referred to as the hound of heaven? Preachers like to use this phrase sometime. It actually goes back to a poem that was written uh, over 100 years ago in the 1890s. A guy by the name of Francis Thompson wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven. Now, Thompson uh, was a medical student, um, doing great in life, and then became addicted to opium. And as an addict, uh, his life started to fall apart. Uh, He dropped out of medical school. He went through a lot of depression. He attempted suicide, all these things. Um, And until finally, the hound of heaven starts to chase after him. And so this poem, it's 182 lines long. All 182 lines are kind of his testimony that though he tried to push God away, that God kept coming after him. He chased after him. Here's a few lines from the poem. He, he says, I fled him. I'm talking about I fled away from God. I fled down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind and through the tears I hid from him. But with unhurried chase and an unperturbed pace, he, the hound of heaven, came after me. And he's describing this idea that the Holy Spirit is active in our conversion. He chases after us. And even when we push him away, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on us, but he is constantly coming and coming and calling and calling you toward truth. Ultimately, the truth that's found in, in Christ. 
I heard kind of a cool uh, a story of this uh, from a guy at our, our church just this week. And this is a guy he'd been struggling with, with alcohol and a few other issues. Kind of life was, was at a, a really difficult place. And he knew he needed to come to the Celebrate Recovery group that meets here on Tuesday night. Um, so Celebrate Recovery meets here every Tuesday night. They meet up at the very front of the church, which is in the, the chapel right over here. So even though it meets at the very front of the church, this guy decides that he's going to come, parks in the very back of the church, and decides that he's just going to kind of slip in the back door. Because sometimes, have you ever, like, you know you need to be somewhere, but you don't really want to be there. And so you think, well, maybe I'll just show up, but if I don't see anybody, well, at least I tried, and, you know, I can move on. So this guy says, I'll just slip in the back door. And he comes in the back door, totally out of context, and um, just in this incredible coincidence, who happens to be right standing at the back door where he normally wouldn't be, but Steve Plath. Steve Plath is actually the director of our Celebrate Recovery program. And so the guy says, Steve says, hey, great. What are you you here for? He's like, I'm here for Celebrate Recovery. Awesome. I'll show you the way. So he leads him all the way across the church into the the chapel. They sit down and this guy sits through the recovery meeting and things fine, are fine. And then at the end of that time, they're going to break up into their small groups. And small groups is really where a lot of the important work really takes place. And so this guy thinks, well, you know, I've been here. Um, I'm not going to a small group. I'm just going to slip out the back. And so he decides, I'm just going to kind of slip out uh, the back door away. And so wait, so kind of everybody starts to, to spread out. And he slips out the back door. And as he is walking away, who, in an incredible coincidence, comes walking right beside him, but Steve Plath, along with the rest of the guys from this men's group. And they're like, where are you going? He's like, I guess I'm going to men's group. And so he goes into the group. And uh, he starts to sense now that, that God is, is tugging at his heart. And so he thought, I am here I might as well just be real and honest. And he begins to share some of the stuff that he's struggling with. And he said it like this to me. He said, right away, I began to feel a peace like I had never felt before. And I began to experience the, he didn't quite use these words, but the, the love of these guys that were accepting me. And, and then he said this, he said, I've got two weeks sober and I've never been more excited about God in my life. And do you see that? God chases us down, even though we try to push him away sometimes. The question is, are we going to hear his voice and invite him in? So the spirit of truth is active in our life, coming after us, even when we don't want him to be, because the only way to be born again is by the spirit. Let me just read to you Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. It says it like this. He says, at one time, we too were foolish disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteousness, the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Get this. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal. That's that regeneration we're talking about. He says he saves us through the washing of, of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so the first thing we see is that the spirit of truth guides us towards truth, calls us towards truth, ultimately the truth of Christ. And he does that through our conversion by calling us to turn from our sin and toward, turn toward um, Christ. So that's the first thing. The Holy Spirit is with us or after us in that way. The second thing is that the spirit of truth is in us. And he is in us in large part to guide us to the power of the truth in God's word. 
the theological concepts, concept here is illumination. Illumination is kind of what theologians use to describe this idea of, of sometimes the Holy Spirit makes God's word come alive to us. So to illuminate something is to make it brighter and clearer so that you can see it more clearly and understand it. A theological definition is this. It is the process by which God's Holy Spirit enables us to understand his word and apply it to his life. That's actually a supernatural thing that takes place. The spirit of truth guides us to not just read his word, but to begin to understand it and apply it to our life. There's a great example of this, kind of a prophecy of how this would all take place in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, beautiful scripture. And uh, God speaks through Ezekiel and he says this, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. He's describing regeneration. You're gonna be born again. I'm gonna take your old heart It's like stone, and I'm going to replace it with the heart of of flesh. But then get this. And at that time, I will put my spirit in you. And what will the spirit do inside you? It will move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. So he says it's going to bring illumination. The spirit in you is going to work with God's word to help us know and follow after God. Jesus gets at this in John 14. We read this before, but let me just read it to you one more time. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you, he says to his disciples, and he will be in you. So when he's talking to his disciples, he says he's with you. But remember, when I go away, he'll come and he's saying he will be in you. Jesus is talking about what is known as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So sitting up here all along, we've had this pitcher of water and this glass, and they are in some sort of relationship, this water to this glass, they're in a relationship, they are with each other, right? They're nearby each other, they're with each other, but if I were to take this water and I were to pour it into this glass, suddenly that relationship has changed quite a bit. Now it's not, the water is not with the glass, the water is actually in the glass, right? And that's an obvious point, but that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. He says, he will be in you. Now, in the Old Testament, we see that the Holy Spirit was active and real, but it would come for times and seasons on on people. That's why even King David prays, God, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me, because the Spirit would come and go. We don't have to pray that. The Holy Spirit is, is with us. You may think one day that you're going to get to heaven and you're going to come up to Moses and you're going to be like, Moses, you got to tell me about when you went up on the mountain and you were faced, you had God's presence. You saw God's presence and your face was glowing. What was that like to see God's presence? And Moses would say, you know, it was great. But what I really want to know is I've been waiting to ask you, what was it like to have God living inside of you? God actually living inside of you, not coming and going. That is what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He used to be with us, but now he is in us, right? And so the spirit of truth 
um, is in us. And um, one of the great works of the Holy Spirit, uh, the indwelling Holy Spirit, is this idea of illumination. So Jesus says, I'm going to guide you into all truth. And specifically, he's referring to the scriptures. Because without the Holy Spirit, you can read the Bible. And it's an interesting historical book, sometimes kind of hard to understand. Ancient stuff, you know, contains truths of, or the, you know, the teachings of Christianity, and that's what it is. And that's fine. With the Holy Spirit, you come to this book, and it's an interesting historical book, sometimes hard to understand. But you know what else it is? By God's Holy Spirit, suddenly these words are not words on the page, but they're words of truth to me. They're the words that guide my life. They're living water to my soul. And that's what happens through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They're sharper than any double-edged sword. So the way it's described is like this. God Uh, through his Holy Spirit, inspired the Bible. So we believe that God inspired the the words that we have here um, in the original text um, uh, by his word. 2 Timothy 3 says it like this, all scripture is God-breathed. And so it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. And that little phrase, God breathe, it's the the Greek word pneuma. We've talked about it the last couple weeks. It's often translated as spirit, but sometimes it means wind and sometimes it means breath. And so it's like God's breathed out, God spirited out the word of God. He inspired it originally. But more than just inspiring it, he illuminates it to us. He makes it uh, understandable for us. He turns it into just words on a page to living water for our souls. That's why sometimes you can open up this book and, and this stuff is thousands of years old and it speaks to you like it's today, right? Like I, it's just what I needed to hear today. The reality is, is that's God's spirit working in your heart being open to those things, being open to, to, to receive God's word in that way. You know, I kind of wrestled with how the best way to explain this. And, and since we're talking about the, the Bible, let me just read you kind of uninterrupted some words from the Bible to, to, to see how it describes this illumination. Uh, so Ephesians chapter one, we'll put them on the screen there. Uh, Paul writes and he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So Jesus calls it the spirit of truth. Paul calls it the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance of his people. I pray that your eyes may be opened and enlightened. David says it like this in Psalm 19. God said, he says, God, be good to your servant while I live, that I may obey your word and open my eyes, illuminate me, that I may see wonderful things in your law. And then he says these things in 1 Corinthians 2, these things that God has revealed to us by the Spirit, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. It's the same thing that Jesus says, I'm going to give you the spirit of truth and he's going to guide you into all truth. 
So uh, he uh, brings his word to life. He is with us. He is in us. Uh, And then finally, we see that the Holy Spirit is upon us. The Holy Spirit comes uh, upon us. And he comes upon us, the Spirit of truth does, um, to help us be a blessing to others. And what we're describing here is now the Holy Spirit isn't just upon us, but it's overflowing out of our life. And that stuff that overflows out of our life becomes a blessing to others. The the theological term here is, is ministry. So I want to be clear here, I'm not describing some sort of secondary experience that kind of only the spiritual elite have. This is not, I'm not describing like a baptism of the Spirit, a second thing that that you have to chase after or pursue. This is simply to say that when the Spirit of truth is active in my life and I begin to become a person of the truth, that starts to bubble out of me. And God's Spirit starts to come out of me. And one of the main things that it does is it becomes a blessing to others. One last scripture before we kind of turn the corner here. Um, There's actually a great prophecy in the book of Isaiah that explains this. And this is what Isaiah 44 says. He says, For I will pour water on a thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. And what happens when he pours out your spirit, your, his spirit, my blessing on your descendants. And so as the spirit is, is with us, in us, even upon us, overflowing out of our life, it becomes a blessing to others. We're going to see this quite a bit in the next few weeks when we begin uh, a study through the book of Acts. We're going to see this. But as we kind of wrap up my part of the message here today, I want you to see this in a real life example. And here on a Sanctity of Life Sunday, I uh, want you to hear from my friend, friend, Karen Anderson, and we asked if Karen would share some of her story of how God was with her through all kinds of things, but specifically, watch the way that God's spirit worked in Karen's life um, through the years, and let's take a look at her story. Hi, my name is Karen Anderson, and this is my story. This is a story that I've been wanting to tell for quite some time now, but now is the time to tell it. In 1979, uh, I unexpectedly found myself with an unplanned pregnancy. And at the time, the people who I was around and the culture that I was in, it seemed only natural that I should not have this baby. So I chose not to have my baby. And I have to say I experienced a lot of different emotions. Maybe the first one was relief, followed by numbness. I really didn't want to think about it or feel anything. But as much as I tried over the months and years and decades ahead, I did think about it. Thought about it every March when I knew that would be that child's birthday. And, but it wasn't until many years later when my perspective about uh, abortion changed. And at that time, I realized that was something that I was sorry that I had done. But it took a long time to actually look at that. And I asked God to forgive me. And I knew because of what is written in the scripture and what I know Christ had done for me, I was forgiven. But the thing that I still didn't know for years that I wasn't healed. I wasn't healed from that. And it wasn't until I was in a Bible-based healing program that I learned about how much God's grace really is 
and that there was nothing he not only wouldn't forgive, but that he couldn't heal. And I also learned that there's nothing that I have that I've done that God can't use in the future. And that was really liberating for me to learn. And my passion now is to come alongside other women who have also made that choice. Maybe they made it once, maybe they made it multiple times. For them to know first and foremost, if they're feeling mournful regret, that God will forgive them. But I have to say that it's one of those things that most of us women, we mourn in silence. There's nowhere to take that grief. And sometimes even when we're sitting in church, it can be a struggle because one in four of us sitting in church on a Sunday morning have had at least one abortion. So it's my goal, my desire is to help other women know that they're not alone if they also are struggling with dates and birthdays and maybe even struggling with the children that they have and knowing that feeling like I felt for so long that I didn't give a sibling to my children. And so that is my story and that is my heart. Amen. Well, I'm so thankful that Karen was willing to share that story. And some of us here uh, just needed to hear that because maybe you're in that situation and you need the healing and the touch of God. Karen's going to be available after the service. She's going to be right over here. Um, she would love to, to talk with any of you if you have questions or just would like to get to know more, find out how she received some of that healing. Um, but for all of us, did you see the way that God's spirit works in his life, her life? Because that's the way God still wants to work in our life. She felt guilty about this stuff. She felt shame about it. The Holy Spirit came alongside and took that shame and said, it's not about shame. It's about a conviction to make a change. And the Holy Spirit was with her. And then the Holy Spirit began to live inside of her. And suddenly she began to find truth and understand things more. Through the experience of God's word being opened up to her, to meeting with other people, he began to reveal that. And now she is, years later, at the place where the Holy Spirit is overflowing out of her life. And she wants to be a blessing to to others. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and my life. Jesus says, the spirit of truth is with you. Will we receive that and walk toward it or will we resist it? The Holy Spirit, as we're going to hear, is is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit doesn't force his way on us. We can resist him. And here's the deal. The, The more times you resist him, the easier it gets. The harder our hearts get, the colder we get. But oh, if the spirit is speaking to you, could you open up your heart and begin to move to him? God, I thank you so much for this amazing gift of your spirit alive in us. Father, you didn't leave us as orphans. You didn't leave us alone. You gave us something great, the filling of the Holy Spirit that guides us into all truth. And so, Father, I thank you for uh, each and every person that is here today, Lord, and I pray that we would learn what it means to be people that worship you and live in spirit and truth. Come alongside and comfort those that that need your comfort because your Holy Spirit does that. Come alongside and convict us where we need that because your Holy Spirit does that. Come alongside and guide us into all truth because that's what your Spirit does. We love you. We give ourselves to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.